So my name is Mike Molina. I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. I know I have a homeboy here in the back. I got an email from Stephen Crochet. We graduated from high school the same year. And he reached out when he saw that I was coming. And so I'll actually talk about Ben Franklin just a little bit, which is the school we went to. Um, so as a 45-year-old man, it might be strange to say elementary school saved my life. But it did. My elementary school was Gene Gordon Elementary in the Lakeview area of New Orleans. And our school was one of the first in New Orleans to be a magnet that was designed for integration. We were about 40% black, 40% white, and 20% uh, first generation immigrant from all over the country, usually from all over the world, usually from, from the University of New Orleans, which was you know, a few blocks away from the campus. And at that school, in order to make a, an environment where all those different types of children felt like they belonged in the 1980s, now remember, uh, integration started before that, but it was a little bit different in the 70s, right? You might remember busing and, and all of the controversy and sometimes violence that occurred in the initial uh, push to integrate. Well, I was lucky enough to be in the generation after that. And so we uh, had a different experience. It wasn't kumbaya at all times, uh, but uh, it, it taught me a lot. And um, it taught me to have an open heart, first of all. Um, for many of us at Gene Gordon, it was our first opportunity to engage with diversity because of segregation that preexisted um, you know, my life and, and uh, for many, many, uh, actually, centuries in New Orleans. Um, this was a first opportunity for the city to design itself and design its future. And I'm lucky to be a part of that. Uh, but we had a leader by the name of Brian Reidlinger. Uh, Mr. Reidlinger was a good man. He was warm. He was friendly. He was stern when he needed to be. Um, and he had us sing every morning lots of songs uh, to lift the spirit. We were a public school, right? So we weren't learning about Christ or, or any... Uh, organized religion, but we were learning about hope every day. And one of the things I remember most about Mr. Reidlinger is he would come standardize test time. And back in those days, we used to take the Iowa, uh, I don't even remember the name, I just remember it came from Iowa, and I'd always be like, why Iowa? <laughs> what does Iowa have to do in New Orleans? Somebody please explain to me. But uh, we used to take these tests, and there was another elementary school not far away called Hines, which uh, wasn't integrated. It was a neighborhood school in Lakeview, which was a segregated, uh, pretty much a segregated community, even in the 80s. And he used to tell us that it was our job to prove that an integrated school could compete with, with Hines, which was considered the best elementary school. He made it a, a, a competitive thing, but in a, in, a, in a good spirit, that we would prove, that we would show, that we could hang with Hines. And we did, and we did. Um, and I, I got taught a, a curious mind at Gene Gordon Elementary, curious about people who were different from me, curious about the world around me because I wanted to know why Heinz looked the way it did, why we looked the way we did, and why we had something to prove. Why did we have to prove something? So it taught me a lot about being curious about history, about my city, about America. But mostly, it taught me to seek good a soul to seek good, an open heart, a curious mind, but most importantly, a soul 
that would seek good. And it was important because not everyone was happy with integration. Not all the parents were excited to send their, school to an send their children to an integrated school. Uh, but we, as the children, had to see good in each other. We had to seek good in each other. And Mr. Reidlinger and all of the teachers fostered that in us. They seeded that in us. And we kept it. But I said elementary school saved my life, so my life must have been in danger at some point, and it was. In middle school, I lost my way. My parents had gotten divorced while I was in elementary school, and the crystallization of the impact of that happened in middle school. As I was exploring life beyond the comfort of Gene Gordon Elementary, while my mom had taken a second job at University of New Orleans as a librarian in order to cover the economic impact of the divorce and while my dad went out to get a PhD in education from LSU. So he was busy, mom was busy. My brother had gone off to college to, uh, to study acting at SUNY Purchase. And here I was, a 12, 13 year old kid for the first time kind of out in the world without a lot of monitoring. And I attached myself and, and became attracted to um, the, bad, the bad boys, if I'm honest and I'm, I'm putting that in quotes, and I tried to see the good in them, and I did see good in them, but unfortunately, they exposed me to a lot of bad, and I started doing self-destructive things that um, brought me closer and closer to destruction and further and further from what I had learned and, and who I had been at Gene Gordon. It all culminated one night. I was 13 years old, riding in a stolen car. We stopped to get gas. And a young man approached the car, um, pulled out a gun, and told us all to get out. He took the chain from around my neck and uh, sent us on our way, thankfully. Uh, but that moment of having a little black pupil right in my face uh, was enough for me to say, mm, this is not who I am. This is not for me. There's something that I know I am from, that I learned in elementary school that is still in me, that's waiting for me to return. And I did, and I did. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be alive and to make a new choice. And so I ended up uh, choosing and getting, taking a test and getting into another magnet school, which was the, the best school in, in, in New Orleans. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just saying that, it is, and it has been for many years. Um, Benjamin Franklin High School, and it was an academically centered, very challenging environment. It was hard, um, but it set me up for success. I went on to Xavier University of Louisiana after graduating from Ben Franklin, and then on to Yale Law School as a way to, uh, you know, as, as was mentioned about Washington, D.C., how people want to serve here, uh, which I think is, is a, you know, I hadn't really thought a lot about that. I'm, I'm new to the area. Uh, but I went to Yale Law School with the intention to figure out how to serve and how to change the world and wanted to be a good place and a better place. And so I immediately started going into schools. <laughs> and so while there, I worked at Roberto Clemente Middle School uh, in New Haven and taught a program called Umoja. And Umoja was uh, a way to teach African-American history, the history of civil rights to the students so that they could understand what, was, what had been sacrificed for their opportunity, so they could learn heroes who had lived and fought and sometimes died, sometimes were martyred for the opportunity for them to go to school, to light a little fire under these middle schoolers 
and to get them focused on opportunity. So what does anything, any of this have to do with the Bishop Walker School? Well, it's a kindergarten through fifth grade school. And what we are doing is seeding good in these boys, curiosity, open hearts, and a soul that seeks good. And why is it critical? Because nothing is guaranteed when they leave us. Nothing is guaranteed to them. Not safety, not peace, not opportunity. And so in order to steal them for what they might face, we have to see good in them at all times. From when they walk in the building and I greet them with love and kindness and compassion like Mr. Reidlinger greeted us, to recess when I throw a football to him and help him work through the pain of losing or the pride of winning and be respectful to each other. To the end of the day when I say goodbye and say I can't wait to see you tomorrow, we are seeding good every single day in these young people to save their lives so that when they leave us, they have memory, they have muscle memory of what it's like to be in a, an environment of love and care and compassion and curiosity about the world. So as we have uh, become, um, many of you in this room, some of you in this room and, and others of you who uh, know others who've, who've given, you've seeded a community, a village. We're now located at the Ark Town Hall Education and Recreation Center. This is a conglomerate, a, a village of nonprofit service providers in Southeast DC. And we are one of those. And we are a distributor of good throughout that entire conglomerate because we use the Washington School of Ballet, which is right across the parking lot from us, for movement classes for the boys. We use Levine School of Music, another nonprofit, for music classes. We use the Boys and the Girls Club for after school. We use DC Central Kitchen, which is a, a, a food uh, security organization, for our lunch program. We utilize the Ark Farm, a one acre uh, plot of uh, fruit tree orchard and hoop houses and, and grow boxes to teach our young youngsters the cycle of life and seeding to harvesting. We utilize every corner of the Ark um, in order to create a wraparound support system for our scholars and their families. We are 98% African-American. We welcome two Afghan students this year. Uh, we are, all, again, all boys. Uh, most of our scholars are, the overwhelming majority are not Episcopalian. But as an Episcopal school, we are open and welcoming to anyone, whether they are a believer in Christ or, or in, in Islam or, or nothing at all. We welcome them and we teach them that there is something greater than themselves that is calling them to um, some expectations. And so we have a program of character development um, that culminates in a, an acronym, the KINGS. Uh, we teach the boys to be knowledgeable, independent, noble, generous, servant leaders. And the most important is the servant leader, that they see themselves as leaders and that in order to lead, they must serve in some capacity. And that's our character education program. 
But we do a lot more than that, right? We are a school. So uh, one of the most important aspects of our school is that we have very small class sizes. We cap at 16. And as a response to COVID and some of the challenges academically that have emerged in the year and a half uh, of distance learning and then hybrid and uh, all, the, all the challenges of that, uh, we have now uh, gone down to eight to one students to teacher ratio because we have a teaching assistant in each class. Uh, what does that mean? That means that we know each student, we, we love them, we know them well, um, and we can challenge them, knowing them well enough to know what pushes their buttons, what encourages them, what triggers they may have that need compassion and, um, and tenderness. And, uh, and those class sizes create the opportunity for what we do. Uh, we also, again, wrap around whole child investment. We have arts and, and, uh, and curiosity inspiring experiences for them at all times. This week, we had the Gonzaga um, boys from, from the Gonzaga school, uh, which was likely founded around the time of this church. It's a pretty old school. Um, and they came out and they worked with the boys on poetry and then they did a little mini poetry slam uh, outside. Uh, and that's about the third, I think it's the third or fourth year that we've done that, it's an annual thing. Um, we had a visit from the uh, Urban Episcopal Alliance last, I think it was last week, which is a, um, a collective of uh, DEI practitioners and other folks from parishes all around the country. And they came, were very impressed with the work of the ARC and, and what we're up to. So we are, we try to inspire um, and, and encourage and, and motivate folks to do more good in the world. Um, and because we are Episcopal, again, I'm gonna quote now the statement of inclusion and Episcopal identity, which was recently re released to all Episcopal schools to give guidance in this moment uh, when there's so much um, transformation occurring very quickly and, and a lot of uh, a reactionary fear, if we're going to be honest, right? The opposite of, of love is fear, and there are a lot of folks afraid right now to, uh, of the change that is happening, um, and that it's not going to stop happening. That it's it's a uh, far down the line, and it's it's about time. And so there's a, a we quote strive for justice and peace among all people, and respect the dignity of every human being. This is this is word for word from uh, what is claimed as the Episcopal identity in what schools should strive for. So we live that out um, every day. We got wonderful news on last Friday and we are fully accredited for seven years by the Middle States Association. Our first accreditation, it took two years of effort. We had to study ourselves, produce a 200 plus page self-study. Uh, we had to welcome in the midst of COVID uh, a visiting team from schools all around the region to come and observe us and make sure that we were who we said we were. Uh, we got recommended for full accreditation on all 12 measures of, of excellence and they voted last week and we, we got it. was a labor of love of uh, board members, faculty, parents, teachers, um, administration, even students participated. They had to be interviewed a couple of times um, and they shined as they always do. Um, we are a distributor of good. As I said, when we get resources, we take intentional care 
to utilize the other nonprofits around us so that any dollar that comes to us gets multiplied in this you know, village of people trying to do good in Southeast DC. So again, we use you know, Washington School of Ballet, Levine, all these different organizations to provide this wraparound support. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll you know, begin to wind down here and I'd love to take any questions you have. Um, what I'll say is, you know, we are at the, uh, a tra we're in a transformational moment in education, as you might imagine. Uh, what COVID has wrought in terms of um, fear and danger, it has also bursted open possibility in terms of transformation and change. I'll share two examples of how COVID really in concrete ways opened up the door for me personally to uh, walk into this headship, right? And it is a, it's a challenging time to start, but God is good and God created a perfect opportunity for me personally, I think, to understand this role and to begin to play it well. Two things that you might not think, Zoom, uh, huh. oh Zoom, we, Zoom, tired of Zoom, we're all tired of Zoom. However, what Zoom did for me is because people's names are right underneath their faces, I learned names so quickly. And that's not something I'm good at. So it was, it was a blessing. And really quickly learned all my teachers, the faculty, all of the students, parents, uh, which was a great thing. And then the masking. So when boys started to come into the building, so we started the year of COVID last year with eight boys for whom their home life would not make it possible for them to do distance learning. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a family, um, first generation immigrants from Africa, a uh, family of six living in a one bedroom apartment with multiple children trying to do distance learning in the same room. That's not possible. Um, and so among, among others, we had to welcome them in at the very start, about eight boys, very small number, but we were able to do it. Um, and then we had about 50% in April um, that's when we, we started to really open. We started a summer program called Summer Restore right after the switch to distance learning. And then we did Summer Restore 2.0 last year. Got about 80% of the boys back in the building. And that made us able to start at full capacity at the start of this year with lots of practice, with lots of intentional um, routines to help the boys get readjusted to the life of school. Um, and, and most importantly, I think, um, lots of um, trust. We built a lot of trust over that time period and we needed it from our faculty, we needed it from our parents, we needed it from the boys. And uh, it, it worked, it worked. Uh, but when they started coming back into the building with their masks on, you know, um, it's interesting, but you, you, when all you can look at is someone's eyes, you really see the distinction between people, right? We all look different, but but pretty much features, you know, we have a range of features, but those eyes, there's a soul there. There's an independent soul in every single person. And whether it's faculty, parents, or students, when you gotta focus on that window to the soul, it builds this real bond, interestingly enough, right? And we were all scared that, oh, the masks, the kids can't wear masks. No, we can't do that to them. It's gonna make them antisocial or, you know, drive them crazy. They're fine. They are fine. And, uh, and I believe that we have to pay attention to each other's souls a little bit more when all this stuff is covered up. So 
Um, we are on a journey and we're, we're not to the end of it at all, right? We are in COVID recovery now. We got through hopefully the worst of it. And now we're about building, rebuilding uh, the boys' ability to, to, to reach for their, their highest potential. Um, and so we are you know, designing, innovating. Uh, this accreditation provides that our innovations will stay within the guardrails of what is proven to work, right? Innovation is great, but without any kind of boundary or standards, it can take you all over the map and can't be replicable or scalable. The innovations that we're interested in uh, investing into the boys we hope will be replicable at public schools, at other independent schools. We hope that it'll be scalable for our school, but other schools as well. And so we see that as part of our mission. Uh, as an independent school, we have a lot more freedom, a lot less red tape, and we have to take advantage of that, especially in this time of transformation in education. And we're taking that seriously. Um, so I could go on and on and on, but I would really rather respond to some questions and tell you a little bit more about what it's like in school these days, or tell you about the vision uh, as we move forward. We are, we are at the beginning of a, of a strategic planning process so that we can look at where we're headed for the next three to five years. It's just a perfect timing. Once again, God is good, like right after COVID to, to be in a strategic planning or in the tail end, hopefully, of COVID. Um, and so we got, we got a lot of good things going on I'd love to share with you. But um, are there any questions that I can answer about either um, you know, the past in, in terms of how the school emerged and, and I'm new, so I, there, there are people in this room who know, that, know it better than I do, for sure, um, or about what COVID was like or, you know, in the, in the, at the height of the challenge or now or where we're headed. Any questions at all? Yes, ma'am. Do you have plans to increase the grades that you, that you service? We have dreams of that, yes, we do, but we're going to do it sustainably and carefully. Um, would you go one at a time? One grade at a time, yes, that would be the, the proper way to do it. Um, it's going to take a lot more resources. We are about 80, and this year about 85% uh, of our operations is from giving. And so that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an ambitious model and a challenging model to scale. Uh, but we see, you know, in, in, like in, in my personal case, you know, anything can happen in middle school. So it would be wonderful to keep our arms around them a little bit longer. Um, uh, as as my, my colleague from Gilman School, which is where I was in Baltimore before coming here, uh, uh, Henry Smythe used to say, sometimes they need a little more cooking. <laughs> he's, from, he's from the Carolinas. So, uh, we want to keep them cooking a little longer and then to place them in great opportunities. But yes, we do, we do envision and, and hope that we're going to do it sustainably. We're going to do it thoughtfully. Yes, ma'am. That's a great question. So we, um, you know, folks prior to me uh, realized that we needed a specific role of director of outplacement and graduate support. And so we have a person who's dedicated to doing just that, uh, Reverend Brian Harris. He's great at it. He's a wonderful people person, uh, been trained as a minister, and he goes out and ministers to um, uh, the families who have uh, matriculated into other schools. So we have our oldest scholar is now a senior. His name is Caesar, and um, he's going to volunteer with us. He's a graphic artist, so we have some potential to give him some internships type, you know, opportunities with our communications department. Um, and we're starting an alumni association. So this is the first year of, a, of an actual an ele elementary school with an alumni association. But it's important. It's important. 
you know, we need to be able to identify, you know, where they are and how they're doing and also reverse engineer uh, from their success to how do we, you know, make sure that we're seeding that in the boys we currently have. Um, so, yes. Uh, yes, ma'am. Absolutely. So the question was about our admissions process. How do we recruit families and um, whether families are uh, required to, to sign a partnership with us in, in, in a kind of a covenant, which is what we call it. Um, so yes, we, again, we're at the ARC. And so I didn't mention two probably of our biggest partners, Children's National Hospital is on the first floor before us. So when we needed weekly testing, which we do do, um, you know, our boys can't get vaccinated yet. And we're in a vulnerable population in wards seven and eight, a lot of our NPG County are uh, the highest rates in DC. And so we have a lot of fear. So we do uh, weekly testing, testing and Children's National helped to coordinate that for us. But above us is Apple Tree um, uh, uh, Pre-K. And it's a kind of, um, uh, I'm just going to call it a franchise, but it's a, a number of different pre-K all around the city. And so uh, one is right above us. And so that's a natural pipeline. So we, those boys who are up there come right downstairs to us. Uh, but we also recruit in the neighborhood. We try, to, we try to connect with our partners. So we believe that all the students who need us are within our reach. And so either they're, they're relatives or children of people who are partners. So the person who runs DC Central Kitchen, his son now goes to our school. Um, but we also have, um, you know, we're, we're located in a low income community that's gentrifying, but it's basically a quarter of, of, of low income housing from the ARC all the way up to Suitland Parkway. Um, and, the, and the person who founded the ARC, Chris Smith, um, is, is the person who, who uh, you know, owns all of that. Um, so his investment into trying to make sure that that community was stable is, is the arc. Um, so we get a lot of uh, families from that community right across the street. Uh, we work with parishes and, and other um, churches to identify boys. Um, and then once they come to us, they do go through an application process. Um, it's similar to a lot of independent schools, except that it's uh, our, our baseline is we take all comers. We are tuition free. So there are no barriers at all. But we do do an assessment to understand what boys might bring with us, bring with them to us, whether that's a learning um, difference or an emotional challenge or a, a family circumstance that's very challenging. We need to know that coming in so we can serve. Um, so there's a, a kind of an extensive process. And what that means is that regardless of whether our families are very, um, under-resourced or under, from undervalued communities and, and struggling, they have to make an investment of time and energy just to apply, right? They have to go through that process. If they get the boys here to come and in, in interview, you know, it's not really an interview, but to come and talk to us. And, um, and they have to sign a covenant. And it's a partnership covenant where they have to volunteer three hours a week, I'm sorry, three hours, uh, at least three hours a uh, quarter. And, um, Ultimately, though, uh, our parents end up doing a lot more than volunteering. So one of the things that I like to talk about in terms of our families, they are very resourceful. You know, a lot of times a lack of resources creates resourcefulness. 
And sometimes when we have, let's say, a child who, whose family is um, due to gentrification, moves uh, out into Maryland somewhere that's more affordable, and now is having real trouble coming to school, we've had other parents pick up those children. We've had parents who will allow a child to sleep at their home so they can get up in the morning and come to us. Um, and, and that's the real spirit of village spirit that we have. Um, and that's cultivated throughout the admissions process. And I think, ultimately, I think it's because people who choose our school, and it is a school of choice, um, they believe in their boys' potential. And they believe whatever investment of time and energy that we ask for is worth it. Um, so that's, that's a little snapshot of our families, but uh, and we have one over here, and then we'll come to the back. Uh, I'm yes, curious to know if you've had a chance to assess what kinds of deficits, educational deficits, deficits COVID caused, if any. Absolutely. So we do something called MAP testing. It's called Measures of Academic Progress. It's a specific kind of standardized test that measures growth. And it, was, it really is the appropriate test for this time period because uh, Unlike some standardized tests, it's not really measuring content. It's measuring how long did the student take to answer a question? Are they, are they guessing or rushing? Um, you know, how many did they get right relative to um, an earlier test? So we do it three times a year. So when between the first cycle of testing and the last cycle of testing, we should see a range of growth. And it doesn't mean that they have to you know, be at this reading level or this level of, of um, you know, numeracy or, or math literacy, uh, it means that they have to be progressing. And as long as we keep them progressing, they're children, they're sponges, they're resourceful and resilient, you know, we, we need to see that growth. So that's what we've been measuring during COVID. And so, um, you know, if we just look at reading level, uh, the majority of our students are below grade level and reading level now. Um, and that's certainly a consequence of distance learning, which uh, even through the miraculous and really heroic efforts of the teachers and parents to try to make that work, it just wasn't a, a conducive to, um, you know, being in school, right, and, and having that in-person experience. So I'm, I'm, I learned from the great people around me, and so our director of curriculum design and implementation always checks me when I talk about gaps, um, that we shouldn't define it that way. Um, and I, I'm, my instinct is to say that too, like where are the gaps, how do we fill them? But in this growth kind of thinking, it's less about a bridge we need to build over a gap or a gap that we need to fill and more about ensuring that the boys have the academic skill to grow. And as long as they're growing, we've increased uh, the amount of time they spend with us. So they stay until four and they have study hall after school. Summer Restore was an academic focus. So we just believe that if, if, if they are growing and we give them more time and more investment, you know, eight to one student teacher ratio, what we'll do is, you know, you know, uh, fill the opportunity for them to have that growth manifest into academic progress. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist the temptation to call it gaps, uh, but it, it doesn't look great. And um, however, our boys are, they are growing, and we're going to try and make sure to increase the pace of that growing now and into the future so that they can uh, get all the you know, all that they can from this time period. I'll say this last thing, and I know we have other questions. One of the things that makes us really unique 
is being such a small school, it means that we have so much information about each child and about their family. And it allows us to really give specific interventions. And some of those interventions aren't academic. You know, some of them are emotional and social emotional. Some of them are, have to be responsive to trauma. Um, if you can imagine, um, and some of you may have experienced this if you have children, uh, some of you may have the perfect home life, but uh, many of us don't. And if you can imagine for a year plus, the children have been immersed in all the trouble of home. They haven't had any respite from it at all. And what do you think they're bringing back into the building? And so we have to be very deliberate about creating the conditions for them to learn, which might involve uh, a lot of social emotional support, um, a lot of love and patience, um, and a lot, of, a lot of structure as well. I, I, I say you know, it's not really just boys, but I definitely I feel like every boy has a soldier in them. They want order. They want rhythm. They want discipline. And so we spent the first probably three weeks of school doing assessments to try and identify where they were, but learning how to walk in the hallways, learning how to sit, learning how to control the body, learning how to free the body at recess, and then control it to come back into the building, um, learning not to rub your face on the wall. I mean, you know, these are boys, so they, they will invent new ways to be ridiculous. So, you know, we have to, <laughs> I'm just saying what it is. Um, but we, so we have to not only focus on the academic, we have to focus, focus on the emotional life of the child and those needs as well. Um, I saw it in the back there, yes, and it will come to this side. Yes, ma'am. Yes. I'm sorry I was a little bit late and you have already addressed this, but my question is, um, we have a school and school children are going to specifically for African-American young boys. Is there some reason why there's not a school for girls? Well, it's a great question. So, um, we aren't explicitly for African-American boys yet. I mean, we are in the midst of a strategic planning process in which we will review our mission. Maybe, maybe that will be something that we explicitly become. But the design of the school was to serve Southeast DC was to be an independent Episcopal option for the families of Southeast DC where, tuition free, where uh, there aren't many good options in terms of education. And so because of segregation, because of disinvestment in Southeast DC, um, there's a lot of poverty, unfortunately, um, and uh, gentrification has pushed many African American um, uh, families out of other parts of DC into the lower income area of Southeast DC. So I don't think it was, um, people weren't avoiding saying we were gonna be a school for black boys. I think everyone knew that that would be the case because of the demographics of Southeast DC. Um, but we are designed to serve. And so again, we have two Afghan students. As we grow, even if we decide that we're going to be explicitly a school for black boys. We will always be welcoming in the same way any kind of student can go to Howard or Morgan State or Xavier University where I went, where there are lots of Vietnamese students. Um, we would never be exclusive. However, um, there's some, you know, there's some value in claiming an identity like that. So we, we're in the process of evolving. Um, but in terms of girls, so one of our partners is Washington School for Girls, which is a tuition-free fourth through eighth grade girls Catholic school. Um, and so they are our closest partner. A lot of si older si siblings go there. Our 
admissions um, departments had a carnival yesterday together along with Apple Tree. Um, so we do have a, a kind of a sister school. Um, but imagine the endeavor of those who launched this school, who I've met many of, of them, some in this parish, a tuition-free school that is intensive in its intervention, 16 uh, tapping classes, uh, capping classes at 16, now eight to one. It's an enormous investment. It's an enormous challenge to do. So let's, let's, let's make Bishop Walker School a wonderful success and see if we can, you know, see what comes next. Um, but uh, what we steer girls, older siblings, um, you know, we, we steer them to Washington School for Girls. And although they're not Episcopal, Episcopalian, they are, um, you know, invested in the same way as we are uh, in service. Um, I'm going to start here and then work all the way back. Yes, ma'am. Uh, what happens to the children after they leave you? Are they baptized by fire somewhere else? Uh, that's a great question. So our director of outplacement, uh, he drives all over the, all over the place. Uh, what happens is a parent, a fifth grade parent, will, will, they have to give a list of schools where they'd like their child to be placed. And then Brian travels to those schools to meet admissions directors and, you know, to some extent, uh, advocate for our, our scholars, but also investigate that school and see if it's a good setting for, for that scholar. Uh, once a, you know, list has been whittled down to the good options, he walks them through the admissions process, and these are a lot of times independent schools. 90% of our graduates went, graduates went to independent schools last year. We currently have three placed at Milton Hershey in Pennsylvania, which is a boarding school starting at middle school that covers everything for the entire time. I mean, completely tuition-free, clothes. When they, when they get to learn in the drive, they get driving lessons. I mean, this is a complete investment in a child. And we have three boys placed there. Sandy Springs Friends, uh, uh, we've had students at St. Patrick's, no, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong about that. Uh, St. Andrews, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm still learning uh, the environment, so forgive me. Um, St. Thomas More, St. Uh, Francis Xavier, so we have a, a number of potential landing spots for them that are independent schools, but we also are open to charter schools or public schools if they are good schools. And so we do a lot of evaluation of how those schools serve their students. And we, we definitely don't just throw them out to the wind. We, we walk them through that process. And again, we now have an alumni association so that we can keep closer track um, of how they're doing. Because it is, um, you know, as a, my, own, my own story, right? Like there's nothing guaranteed when they leave us. So we have to keep uh, an investment in them. One, one more, maybe, uh, Carrie? Yes, ma'am. Good morning, Mike. Um, you've mentioned the two Afghan students yes. a couple of times, and I would love to know how that connection to the school happened. Are they brothers or two different families? They're, they're brothers and the children of one of our teaching assistants. Oh. So uh, we, we encountered um, Mrs. Atmar as a substitute um, about a year and a half ago, and she started with us and uh, really you know, loved what we were doing enough that she asked that if she could bring her boys. And so one is a first grader, one is a fourth grader, and we were so excited to have them, and, and they are fitting right in. Um, and that's, that's how we, we came uh, to receive them. 
Thank you, Mike. Um, Thank you, Andrew. Just to say that uh, after the 11 o'clock service, lunch is going to be served on the plaza, um, a delicious lunch in honor of the Bishop Walker School. I hope you can all join us. Uh, David Shepherd is also here. Uh, David, have a step out there and wave at everybody. Um, and David is Assistant Head for Development at Bishop Walker School. He'll be happy to take questions as well. Um, and uh, Mike would love to continue the conversation at that time. Just thank you all. Thank you, St. John's, for your stalwart support over the years of, of this wonderful institution. And Mike, welcome. And Mike will be at the 11 o'clock service and see you outside on the plaza, I hope. Thank you.